You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Morning. My name is Dora Drendel, and I'll be doing this morning's scripture reading. Um, We are reading from 1 Timothy, verse 18 through 20, and you can find that on page 932 of the seat backs in front of you. If you do not have a Bible, please feel free to take one as a gift from Mill Creek. Let's start with verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we are able to gather together as your local church alongside your universal church this morning. I pray for pastors all around the world, all around this country who are preaching your word, Lord. May they be faithful and may your Holy Spirit empower them to present your word as is. I pray that you be with Jeremy this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit empower him to preach in truth and boldness. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Miss Dora. April 14th, 1912, there's a big ship sailing across the Atlantic, and it gets a warning that, hey, treacherous waters ahead, beware, shipwreck is possible, you should slow down. They don't slow down. They change their, their, their trajectory ever so slightly, but keep the same speed. As the sun set, the ocean liner receives another warning from a ship in the vicinity that says, hey, large icebergs are sighted. But that message never makes it to the bridge. A couple hours later, it is a shift change in the crow's nest. That's where a guy sits up, spying out on the horizon to see if there's any problems coming. Shift change occurs, and guess what piece of equipment is missing? The binoculars. Where'd those things go? Eh. Fast forward to 11 p.m. One more message hits communications department of the ship. A ship saying, hey, we are full stop because ice is everywhere. No change on our ocean liner's speed. And it was just a few moments later that the crow's nest shouted down, iceberg ahead. But the ship was going too fast, and they couldn't turn in time. It'd just be a few hours after midnight that that ship would be at the bottom of the ocean. 2,200 people got on that ship and 1,500 
perished. Shipwreck. Titanic at the bottom of the ocean. Now, I don't suppose any of you are going to be in the North Atlantic later today, being told to slow down on some ocean liner that you're captain of. But spiritually speaking, I wonder how many in here realize the dangerous waters that Christians are traveling through. I wonder if anybody in here is warning, is, is ignoring the warning signs, thinking, full speed ahead, baby, I am unsinkable. See, look, Titanic didn't take off intending to hit an iceberg. And I don't know any genuine Christian who professes faith and gets into the waters of baptism thinking, you know, my aim in my Christian life is to shipwreck my faith. Nobody ever intends to. But if you ignore the warning signs, if you dismiss the warning messages from those who love and care for you, if you misplace the binoculars and you're not aware of the signs, you may find yourself in terribly dangerous waters. This morning, our passage, just a couple verses, but, but Paul is going to give his protege, Timothy, warning signs to avoid shipwreck. There's four safeguards that I see in our scripture that I'd love for you to walk out of here with. Four precautions you can take, church, to safeguard you from shipwreck. Because look, a thousand years from now, I don't want any of you to find yourself shipwrecked from eternity with God. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20? If, if you're new with us, I'm so glad to have you here checking us out. The, the way we do preaching around here is we pick a book of the Bible and we walk through it. And so you found us here at the end of chapter 1, and if you want to know what the earlier sermons in 1 Timothy are, or just hit our podcast, you can catch up with us. For now, though, 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul's first precaution, if you're taking notes, you might write this down, protect true doctrine. Protect true doctrine. Look, look with me there at verse 18, uh, Paul writes, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. So if you haven't been with us, back in verse 3, if you have your Bible open, you can just glance up to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul began this letter helping Timothy know, here's how to build a strong church. And, and by my count, in this letter, there are seven pillars, seven buttresses. That's the thing that supports a wall, makes it stronger. Seven supports that are crucial to a strong church. And so what we're seeing here is Paul's blueprint, ultimately God's blueprint for a strong church. And in verse three, we began hearing Paul's argument for pillar number one, encouraging strong doctrine. And so even though it's taken us a couple sermons to get to the end, we are at the tail end of Paul's first pillar and in context, we know that Paul has charged certain persons, I just draw that from verse three, certain persons not to teach false doctrine. This is Paul's entire point in this chapter. 
See, it's like Paul is in the crow's nest for Timothy saying, danger ahead. There are these false teacher icebergs, and you need to do something about it. In Timothy's case, he must go talk to them. And so Timothy's at a decision point. What will he do with this warning? Will he ignore it, or will he complete it per Paul's urgent command? The application for Timothy is easy enough, right? Like a radio warning, Paul's offering Timothy is to confront these false teachers. That's the safeguard. What about us? What are we supposed to do? While the details are different for you and I today than they were for Timothy and that you don't actually have to go confront false teachers, particularly in this church, I think that in relationship to this book is elders and pastor's job. The principle remains for us, church. Safety requires we protect true doctrine. In fact, if you're gonna write one idea down, I'd love for you to write that down. Protect true doctrine by staying on guard. See, here's how this works for us today. Churches aren't the only place that false doctrine shows up. False doctrine is happening all over our world. It's not just in here on Sunday mornings during second service that we've got a false doctrine problem from social media to YouTube, from from Apple, uh, Google, Amazon, Disney. I mean, everybody is promoting doctrine. Doctrine is everywhere. The question is, are you aware? False doctrine is everywhere. Are you aware? Everybody's got a worldview that they're pushing, and many times it's, many times it makes the person rich who's getting you to believe their worldview. And are you on the lookout? Are you aware of the ideological icebergs that we face? I know it might not be popular, but I am more and more convinced that there are no spiritually neutral messages happening anywhere. I just reject the premise that there is spiritually neutral happening anywhere. Everything has an agenda, and it's trying to get something done. Are we on the lookout, or have we misplaced our binoculars? Hey, hey parents, especially moms and dads, I know firsthand how exhausting parenting can be, but we have got to stay on guard with our kids. They are in dangerous waters, many times not equipped with the right ability to sift through doctrine and worldviews, so we must protect them. We must train them. And we can't ignore this crucial responsibility and we dare not subcontract it out to a youth group or a school or some other caring adult, moms and dads. It is our job. We gotta know what's going on in our home. We gotta stay on guard. Those without kids, empty nesters, those who are preparing perhaps to launch out of parents' house, different places in life, heads up. Listen to the warnings of the Christian boats in your vicinity and be careful. Don't shipwreck. You protect your doctrine by staying on guard. That's our first safeguard. Let's move to the second. 
Here it is, listen to spiritual mentors. Back to the scripture, look how Paul's saying, this charge I entrust to you, again, confront false teachers, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Notice he calls Timothy his child, which if you're a Bible nerd uh, like me, you may go, that, that's not true, actually. And you're right, theology police, you and I are right. Timothy's, not real, Timothy's uh, dad is not named Paul. Um, Acts 16, you remember the ethnicity of, of Timothy's dad? Greek, ding, 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 good job. And um, so what is Paul doing? Of course, of course, here's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you're like spiritually my child. Uh, we know from the second letter that Timothy was raised in the faith by his mom and grandma. And, and so Paul's, Paul's calling him a child, and then he says this weird thing that says, um, you remember the prophecies that were made about you? Which may lead a few of you long-timers like me to wonder, well, what's that all about? And is that what we're gonna do when we go church plant down to Gardner? We gonna bring them all up and do some prophecy, speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit anointing. Don't pack your bags and walk out of the sermon yet. While we could spend the rest of the sermon looking at what all that could mean, here's what's more important. What's more important is for us to understand why is Paul saying, you're my child, and remember the prophecies made about you. Here's why it's important. Timothy, Timothy is young, and we know he's prone to fear, and seeing as his um, mom raised him in the faith and grandma raised him in the faith, and seeing as in the second letter, Paul goes ahead and tells everybody that he was, uh, I remember your tears, Timothy, if I'm Timothy, I'm like, oh, thanks a lot for dropping that, Paul. Thanks a lot for letting everybody know I cry a lot. We imagine, I think, Timothy is looking down the barrel of this, of this responsibility. Timothy has heard Paul say, you have to go confront false teachers, and Timothy's going, that's hard, and I don't know if I've got what it takes. I'm not sure I've got the guts to get that thing down, and I think that's why Paul says, hey, man, you're not only my spiritual kid, because Timothy could just go, well, yeah, you like, you like mentored me, and so of course you think I've got what it takes, but you're like my spiritual dad. Spiritual dads have to say that kind of stuff to people they invested in, you have what it takes. But you know what, Paul, what if you're wrong? What if I actually don't have the guts to get this thing done and confront those false teachers? I think that's why Paul not only says child, but then he also says, do you remember those promises that were made about you? We know from another part of Paul's letter to Timothy, that there are some elders who made prophecies about Timothy. I think it's Paul's way of going, hey, I remember when all those guys put their hands on you and they said, you've got what it takes because of Christ in you. And, and Timothy, I'm wanting to remind you, because I know this is hard, not only are you my spiritual child, but I was there when God's promises were made over you, and I'm wanting to know, I remember that, Timothy, but do you? And I think that would be so motivating to Timothy to remember, so to speak, the check got written all those years ago, and now Paul's cashing the check. Timothy, I'm not the only guy in your corner, bro. All those, all those elders and all those promises from God, those were real, and those matter, and you are going to You've got what it takes, not because of you, but because of Christ in you. 
So Timothy's application, easy enough, listen to your spiritual mentors. And in this context, go confront the false teachers. But what about us? What about us? Well, again, the details are different, but the principle remains the same. Listen to what your spiritual mentors say. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. Listen to what your spiritual mentors say. I've heard it said, everybody needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy, which, which is to say, all Christians would benefit from somebody like Paul who would mentor you. All Christians would benefit from a, from a Barnabas, somebody who's encouraging you, a peer. Then all Christians would benefit to have somebody to pour into, like a Timothy. We all need a Paul, Barnabas, and a Timothy. I've heard that said. Makes good sense to me, and I wonder, who is your Paul? Who's the kind of person who's pouring into you? Maybe it's, maybe it's some spiritual father. Maybe it's your literal father. Maybe it's an old pastor, a friend. Wh- whoever it is, if they love Jesus, and if they are submitted to Christ's word, and they're speaking into your life, listen to them. Listen to them. Unless there's some psychotic, manipulative killer, if they love Jesus and they love God's word, they've got good heart for you, follow what they're saying. Another spiritual mentor that Mill Creek members would do well to listen to would be uh, the elders here. If you're, a, if you're a guest with us, just visiting, I don't imagine the Mill Creek elders have much influence on you at all. But for those who are members or those of you who are considering becoming membership, you do well to listen to the elders of this church. Because if they see an iceberg coming, our heart is to warn you. Now, I realize this may sound terribly self-serving. Like, how convenient. Pastor Jeremy's an elder, and in part of his sermon, he's saying, you should listen to me. <laughs> how convenient, huh? Uh, but though I serve as an elder uh, and, and am honored to do so, um, I'm also under the elders too. There's 15 of us, and I'm under them too. Real talk. A couple years ago, uh, Brooke and I were in some of the hardest waters we've ever had to navigate. And we choose to live our lives open. This is what's going on. And um, a couple elders said, hey, we, uh, we think you need to go get counseling. And that was hard to hear. Not to mention humbling. But by God's grace, I think they were right. And we were in a tricky spot, and there were icebergs around. And by God's grace, the elders have done such a good job of helping us navigate that to calmer waters. I don't know that any marriage ever gets fully free of all the icebergs around, but by God's grace, listened to the elders. And so what I'm trying to say is, I'm not telling you to do something I won't do myself, or that any of the elders won't do themselves. It's like the president of the hair club. 
I'm not just the president of the hair club, I actually use the products myself. <laughs> what I'm trying to get you to see, Mill Creekers, is you got to listen. Listen to spiritual mentors. But, but if you're ignoring the elders, if the elders take the risk to say something directly to you, best they can, not that any of us are doing all of that confrontation perfect, but if we're sitting down saying, hey, this is what we see, this is what we're concerned about, you are speeding through iceberg-laden waters and we're afraid for you, oh man, I wish you'd listen to us. Best we can, we want you to make it safely home. And we're trying to help you. I hope you'll listen. We're not just some buzzkill trying to slow you down. Listen to what spiritual mentors are trying to say. That's the second take home here. Move with me to the third precaution that Paul is giving Timothy. Here it is, hold faith tightly. Hold faith tightly from the beginning of verse 19. The, the way that Timothy's gonna wage the good warfare is by holding faith. In the, com, in, in the thoughts of one commentator, uh, holding faith is, is uh, recognizing the objective treasure that our faith is. Uh, faith in Jesus Christ is like an objective treasure that you ought to guard tightly. You remember what Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven? It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Pfft, why are you buying the field? There's a treasure in it. Again, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought the pearl. Hey man, why are you liquidating everything you have? Because there's this pearl. There's this treasure that we have. That faith is a treasure. Faith in Christ is a treasure we ought to hold tightly. But too often, we treat it like some of my kids treat things on the interstate. They put it out the window and they go, look, Dad, look what I'm doing. You're going to lose it. Or you get on a boat and somebody takes your phone. And they're like, oh, look, it's over the water. I'm going to drop it. It's like, I know. Nobody ever means to drop phones. They get dropped. Let me, let me say it like this. Faith isn't supposed to be some other random detail that's included on your social media profile. See, this, friends, if, if, if you're the kind of person who goes, here are the movies I like. I really like Taco Bell. And I'm a Christian. And that's a little bit about me, how about you? You, you may not be appreciating how significant faith is. Faith isn't one more detail that gets dropped amongst a, a, a variety of personal uniquenesses. Faith is, ought to be the defining quality of your life. So that if a coworker finds out that you're a Christian, if your neighbor learns, oh, you follow Jesus Christ as a member of Mill Creek Community Church. When you, your boss realizes you're, they should go, oh, now you make total sense to me. Now I understand why you are 
you act the way you act because faith is the defining quality of who you are. That's the way our lives should operate. It's not just one little dimension that we, we flip up on Sunday morning, I do this Christian thing, on Monday I do this other thing. But faith ought to, we ought to be holding faith tightly. What does that actually look like in practice? I think it's prioritizing our faith, and I'd love for you to write that down if you're taking notes, that you would prioritize your faith. This is what Paul's calling Timothy to, man, you have got to hold your faith tightly. Church, we have to do it as well. Different in particulars, parallel in principle. Hold your faith tightly. Okay, pastor, but how do I actually hold my faith tightly? Well, if you're a Christian, One of the ways to hold your faith tightly is to by, by participating in regular worship services. Again, I know it's not popular to say in some places, but here at Mill Creek, we really do believe God's word is the authority, uh, and we really do believe Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 when it says, don't give up meeting, the, meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but continue all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, worship service is one of the most important weekly rhythms for a Christian. You ought to prioritize this service where we're singing the Bible and reading the Bible and, and seeing the Bible in the ordinances and, and praying the Bible and preaching the Bible. On your own, you should hold your faith tightly, probably by, by reading scripture yourself, pouring your heart out to God in prayer. That'd be a way to prioritize your faith. But again, faith isn't just something we flip on and flip off. It, it, is, it is the lens through which we filter everything. And so we, we ought to be the kind of people who every day of the week and every part of the weekend, we are ruthless with our sin, courageous in confession, faithful in obedience, kind in conflict resolution. Everything you're doing in your life ought to be filtering through, man, how can, I, how can I, for the good of me and glory of God, follow through here? For any non-Christians in here, thanks for checking us out. If, you, if you're here, I wonder for you, if you're not holding faith in Jesus Christ tightly, I wonder what you're holding tightly. I wonder what you're holding tightly. Because everybody holds something tightly. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to know, in place of faith in Jesus Christ, what have you put at the center of your life? What, what is your ruling passion? What is the single defining quality through which your whole life makes sense? That if you said, well, this is my thing, we'd go, ah, oh, now you make sense to me. And I know some people will say, oh, you Christians, you guys believe in, you believe in stuff that you can't prove in a laboratory, and, and you Christians are so gullible, and you place your faith in stuff you can't prove, but of course, for those who aren't Christians, you do the same thing. And you know that, right? Like you're placing your faith in stuff you can't prove to. You're putting your faith in things we can't prove in a lab. And I'm agreeing that we have faith in something and I'm just hoping that you're sharp enough to grant the premise. You're placing your faith in something as well. And I wonder at the end of the day, will the thing you're placing your faith in hold you? In suffering? At death, what will happen to the thing you're placing your faith in? Will it actually carry you through death? Does whatever your object of faith is have something to say in the face of your sin and shame and condemnation? 
If you're here and you're not a Christian, then we'd love to talk to you about how you might place your faith in what can truly save. For everything else not named Jesus won't save you. Prioritize your faith. Brings us to our final safeguard. Cultivate your conscience. Cultivate your conscience from the second half of verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting their conscience. Some have made shipwreck of their faith like Hymenaeus and Alexander. See, Timothy is being told you must keep a good conscience. Uh, Paul reinforcing to Timothy, having, an, having a healthy operative conscience is going to keep you safe from these icebergs that could otherwise shipwreck you. Notice Paul names drops Hymenaeus and Alexander, two teachers who have not kept a good conscience, Paul's language here that they've been handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme is language for church discipline. In case you didn't know, uh, when you become a member of a local church, the, the church and leadership is identifying you as professing faith in Jesus Christ and you are now not in the domain of Satan, you are in the domain of Christ. A, a sheep who's being guarded by uh, under shepherds, not perfect under shepherds, but, uh, but those of us seeking to be faithful under shepherds and, and we're battling and seeking to lead the flock and uh, protect the flock and feed the flock and know the flock and that's what it means to be a member of a church. But church discipline is when a person who goes, yeah, I, I believe the gospel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow the gospel with my actions and words. If they no longer do that, they get d Membered, they get disciplined, that's what that means. And that's what's happened to Alexander and Hymenaeus. They've been handed over to the domain of Satan. And that's what church discipline is. It's like a tornado siren or a fire alarm from the church saying, you are headed for shipwreck. And, and let me be clear here, Paul's heart and any church that actually practices church discipline, it's not to shame or embarrass anybody. The whole heart of church discipline is restoration, which you can see there in the scripture. Look at verse 20, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Do you hear Paul's heart there? It's not, oh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, man, they drive me nuts. Kick them out the church. No, he, 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 it's, it's to be restorative. I hope those guys will repent, you hear from Paul. And that is, of course, what needs to be so clear here. In case anybody's like, well, I was gonna start doing the membership process at Mill Creek, but now that I've heard about this church discipline thing, thanks, no thanks. <laughs> uh, be clear, being a member of a local church isn't us saying you need to be sinlessly perfect. God knows the preacher here is not sinlessly perfect. And if that's what you thought the preacher was here, God bless you. <laughs> Whatever your expectation is of the preaching pastor at Mill Creek, let me just assure you, you need to lower your expectations. <laughs> lower still. <laughs> All right, by God's grace, I'm trying to be faithful to sing, but I, like you, am born in sin, and I have to confess all the time. Talk to my wife and family if you really aren't taking my word for it, I assure you. I think I heard an amen back there. <laughs> it's God's honest truth. Every Christian sins. 
Every person sins. Members of a church sin. The difference between those who are in the church as members in good standing and then folks like Hymenaeus and Alexander is, the people in the church, when they're confronted with their sin, they say, I'm sorry. But they repent. I mean, Martin Luther made this clear in 1517 when he gave the 95 reasons that the Roman Catholic Church is wrong. Sorry if you're Roman Catholic, the 95 reasons still stand. The first one is this. All of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. It's not just that one time then you go to the guy and say, oh, forgive me, Father. All of life is repentance. And Christians ought to be very familiar with repenting. In fact, if you're here and you're a Christian and you're like, man, I don't actually understand any of this repentance stuff, I'm very concerned for you. Christians repent, and if you stop repenting about something you know is wrong, that the Bible's clear on, that's when discipline happens. Well, trusting that I sufficiently beat that dead horse about what is the difference between membership and discipline, what I want you to see then is this final warning for Timothy, which is Timothy, those two guys shipwrecked their faith because they didn't follow their conscience, so I'm calling you, Timothy, to follow yours. Follow your conscience. For us then, the takeaway, identical in principle, different in particular. For us today, I'd love for you to write this down if you're taking notes. Keep your conscience clean by cultivating it. You need to keep your conscience clean by cultivating it. Okay, pastor, what in the world does that mean? Well, I think conscience is really confusing to a lot of people today. I know it was confusing to me when I, when I started here as a pastor. Here's a real easy definition for conscience. Our personal sense of right and wrong. Okay? Everybody has a moral code. Even people who say, I don't believe in any higher power, I don't believe in any objective truth, also has a moral code, and you can do something that makes them judge you for, man, I can't believe that's what you did. Everybody has a moral code. It's operating everywhere. Prisons have a moral code. You can't do this, you can't do that. The mob has a moral code. There's things that get you whacked in the mob. Christians have a moral code. Everybody has a moral code. It's our personal sense of right and wrong. That's our conscience. But our conscience is not the Holy Spirit. In fact, would you do me a favor? Say, uh, say conscience on the count of three. One, two, three. Conscience. And say, and say Holy Spirit on the count of three. One, two, three. Holy Spirit. Okay. These are not the same things, which is, of course, our great problem for folks who were like me and didn't understand the difference. We, we have a personal sense of right and wrong, and then we just figure, well, clearly, I feel that deeply. So that must be the Holy Spirit. And then we just take our conscience sledgehammer and bonk, 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 all y'all sinners repent because you don't believe and agree with my same conscience. And they're different things. Conscience and Holy Spirit are very different. Now for some, you have an overactive conscience which prevents you from doing all sorts of things that other Christians have freedom to do and if you you have an overactive conscience like I do. It's like everything is like right on the line. And so, I don't know, can I read Harry Potter? Can I not read Harry Potter? I just don't know. Somebody says, man, I'm, I'm reading them for the 14th time. It's like, I'll pray for you. <laughs> uh, overactive consciences um, can have a tendency to think stuff sinful even when it's not, but you gotta follow your conscience. And the way that an overactive conscience gets uh, adjusted is by going back to God's word. Because God's word's the supreme court, not your conscience. 
So if you and your conscience feel like, man, I, I can't in good conscience do that, well, then you have to follow your conscience. It's not a good idea to, to disregard your conscience. That'll damage your conscience. Unless God's word clarifies something, then you must adjust your hyperconscience to it. Unless some of you have a hyperconscience. Some of you, um, your, your, your friends and spouse or, or kids wonder if you even have a conscience, and so you're free to do everything. And um, for this person who never feels guilty about anything and, and has the freedom to, to go wherever you want to go, again, the correction for a underactive conscience or a seared conscience is to allow God's word to again realign. But having taken this little sidebar on conscience, it's crucial for us to realize, church, that God did not give us the conscience to govern the church. And this is a mistake I can make if I think my conscience issues should govern the church or should govern my spouse or should govern my friends. Each of us have a conscience and it's important to keep our conscience clear by following it and it makes sense then why a church like ours could be all over the map when it comes to modesty it's a conscience issue or who to vote for for president that's a conscience issue not that we don't make biblical arguments for it but it turns out there's not a clear thou shalt or thou shalt not verse if you think there is reread it I've read it it's not there Conscience issues create a lot of heat when it comes to where you're going to send your kids to school. You're going to homeschool, you're going to public school, you're going to private school, and all of those things can be very complicated, but conscience issues can be resolved and adjusted by the idea of where stands it written. A, 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 a crucial tool for anybody who's struggling to make sense of what should I do in this situation, well, where stands it written in God's word? Where stands it written in God's word? But my whole point, late as it is in the sermon, is to help clarify this conscience safeguard that Paul wants Timothy to take. Keep your conscience clean. And for us then, Christians, we must keep our consciences clear. Otherwise, we risk shipwrecking our faith. Which is to say, if you are sitting here and you know in your heart and in your mind and your conscience that you've done something wrong and you've not cleaned it up yet, you must honor your conscience or you will hurt your conscience. And, and you're headed for icebergs if you do that. Again, real talk, I've had a Netflix subscription for years that I didn't pay for. And I took email and password and joyfully used it. <laughs> and then one day, I woke up and thought, that's stealing. That's stealing. And seeing as it was a Sunday and I was fixing on preaching to all y'all, I had to decide real quick what I'm going to do with that. And that's the way consciences work. All, I mean, this week, you are going to get faced with an issue and you're going to have to decide, am I doing something about that or am I going to ignore it? And what I, I, what I want to say as clearly as I can is you must, you must honor your conscience. And if your conscience is out of bounds, then allow God's word to adjust your conscience. But if, but if you, if you told a white lie, whatever that thing means, and you haven't cleaned it up, are you going to do something about it? Or are you going to take care of it? Or if you told your boss the numbers, and they're actually not the real numbers, and you know in your heart you going to do something about that or are you going to ignore it? Or if you raised your voice with your kids 
Or maybe you drank too much. You're going you gonna to do something about that or are you going to ignore it? Because if you ignore your conscience, you're headed to shipwreck. That's the principle. And I get it can be sort of frustrating and feel like I'm getting into the minutiae and you walk out of Walmart and you notice on your receipt that I did not pay for this thing and I forgot to pay for it and what are you going to do? Are you going to go back in with all the kids and sit in the line for 27 minutes while you have to go pay $1.99 or are you going to just ignore it? For Christians, we have to cultivate our conscience. Understanding it, following it, working to ensure it's aligned with Scripture. And that's the final precaution Paul's giving Timothy, saying, hey, Timothy, I don't want you to shipwreck your faith, so you've got to confront false doctrine, and you need to listen to spiritual mentors, and you need to hold faith tightly, and you've got to cultivate your conscience. And friends, if we're going to make it safely home, we need to do the same thing. Final thought. Look, on a sermon like this, my, my, my concern would be that you would hear these four principles and, and you might wrongly conclude that it's just a new law. We all love law. We all love, just give me the rules so I can do the rules and I can feel real good about myself. And, and when I get up to, to judgment day, I'll just say, well, he gave me the four precautions and I followed them perfectly, so can I come in? That's, that's never the heart of God's word. For look, the only way that, that, that Timothy's going to have the, the courage to confront and, and, and hold this first pillar of God's church is if the power of Christ enables him to do it. And that is where the power to actually follow these four safeguards comes from. Because friends, none of us has the power in and of ourselves to protect sound doctrine. J Jeremy Krause cannot stand up and hold my faith tight enough or listen to my spiritual mentors well enough or, or cultivate my conscience on my own power. All of these things can only happen by the power of Christ. And, the, and here's how Christ gave us that power. He gave us that power because he shipwrecked his faith. Or not his faith, he shipwrecked his life. See, when Christ came to this world, he didn't make a mistake and find himself boating through icebergs. He knew what life would bring him and he took his ship and he aimed it straight for the iceberg of the cross knowing it would totally kill him. And Christ allowed his life to be shipwrecked so we might receive his power from his death and resurrection and actually be empowered to go live this life in the way he's called so we can make it safely home. I would love nothing more than years from now when all of us are dead that we are in glory together and all of us make it home safely. Man, I want to be there and I want you to be there. And I need you and you need me. We need each other to be able to make it safely home. Let's Let's adopt these precautions so ultimately we can make it safely home with Christ. Would you now pray with me as we ask the Spirit to do what only he can do? We are so grateful for your Bible and that you would give us your truth. And I pray that you would take these words and you would form us by them. 
Christ, for anybody in here who doesn't know you, I pray through the power of your spirit you would bring new life and you would save. For anyone in here who's been searing their conscience, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would wake them up. I pray they would listen and I pray they would repent. I pray they'd honor their conscience. Lord, I I pray that you would help us make it safely home and empower us to do that. In the power of your name, Jesus, and for your glory, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.